This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. We get an opportunity to take a COVID break before a lot of COVID updates. One locally, one provincially, and we're not quite sure what either one will bring. But we'll have them for you beginning just after 2 o'clock. So in the meantime, let's focus in on something else. Now, we'd love to say that this is going to be uh, sunshine, rainbows, pots of gold. I'm not sure that it will, but it's still an important thing to talk about. Joining us right now to discuss what is happening lately on Facebook, where apparently there has been a user data leak. Hmm, that sounds ominous. Is Dr. Thomas Cook, Privacy Ethics and Internal Threat Assessment Manager and also a Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada postdoctoral fellow at the Surveillance Studies Centre, both at Queen's University. Dr. Cook, thanks so much for being here. Hey, my pleasure. I've got one eye on NHL trade deadline. And the other eye on Zuckerberg, so it's uh, a Monday. <laughs> and I, the, that must be a strain because those two things tend to be a long way apart. The one eye that's on trade deadline, though, because it bleeds blue and white. Doctor <laughs> Cook is uh, a self-admitted Toronto Maple Leafs fan, comes from a great lineage of Maple Leafs fans. And how about Nick Foligno? You know, Mike, I, I was talking to my brother about this at the crack of dawn because i'm always up that early on a monday that's me being sarcastic by the way um <laughs> my brother sent me a message pretty early and he said you know I, I can't believe that the leafs have nick Foligno," and i said yeah i can't believe it either he's like the captain of columbus and then riley said no 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 no. that's not the reason why i hate nick Foligno. he's a he's an awful hockey player to play against which is why i think i'm falling in love with him all over again <laughs> And that's just it. And now he's another guy looking to win a Stanley Cup, joining Joe Thornton and joining Jason Spezza. There's incentive. There is skill. There is will. There's goaltending. There's a lot of stuff going on for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So here's uh, here's hoping that Leaf fans, you know, what do you think it would be like if you were actually able to? Because we're getting to the point where if mm-hmm. if vaccines roll out right, and I know that I'm not predicting this. I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. If there was to be some kind of a parade that people could attend, some kind of party that people could be a part of that involved the Toronto Maple Leafs and their fans, that might be a fitting celebration for a different turn in this pandemic. I'm, I'm not predicting it. I just wanted <laughs> to throw that out there just, just for a second because well, you know what? Sure. That part of it can be sunshine, rainbows, and pots of gold. But Facebook doesn't seem to have that going for them. What is happening with Facebook and a data leak? It's another data leak. And I'll touch more on that in a moment. But this was a data leak to the tune of the personal information of 533 million people being discovered online last week which includes, Mike, phone numbers, email addresses, hometowns, full names, and uh, dates of birth of 533 million people in 110 different countries. So to put that into context, that's at least 15 times more people than the entire population of Canada. It was just found <laughs> online from Facebook last week. So there you have it. Another one. Okay, and, and like you say, it, an, another one. Um, so... 
we have heard that Facebook's well aware that these data leaks can happen. And let's face it, mm-hmm. if you have information outlining people and, and who they are and what they do, that's that's a big commodity these days. But Facebook, Dr. Cook, has said, oh, no, 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 we're, we're tightening things up. We're, we're doing what we can. Uh, what do you make of those claims? Because you've used the word another, not once, but twice. Yeah. Yes, no, that's a great point, and I, I think it's an important important point to emphasize, Mike, because uh, when the leak was discovered, Facebook's initial response, so we're talking about the end of last week, was that, well, this leak actually happened two years ago. Why are you guys talking about it all of a sudden? So let's just like hit the, the pause button here for a minute. What exactly is Facebook talking about when they say this happened in 2019? There's a lot of confusion around this. in in the debate about this leak right now. Because in 2019, there was a leak of 540 million people, which included Facebook IDs, comments, likes, and reaction data that was discovered by a different security firm that's not involved in the one from last week. But also in 2018, just before that, there was a leak of 419 million people's data, which included phone numbers, names, and Facebook IDs. And then we have to remember that Cambridge Analytica happened in 2018. Oh, and that's right, I forgot there's another one. In 2018, there was another 30 million people caught up in those breaches. So we're, we're talking about potentially a billion people who've had their Facebook data leaked since the end of the fall of 2018. So when Facebook came out last week and they said, well, hold on a second, guys, everyone slow down, that 533 million uh, person leak is actually part of the other leak from 2019, when in fact that is not the case. It's been proven factually that this is a completely separate leak that did happen in 2019, but Facebook has not reported it. It just so happened that somebody was browsing around on the dark web and came across this, and they reported it publicly, which forced Facebook to finally respond to it on April 9th of 2021. So this is a two and a half year lag in response time for Facebook to own up to another 500 million person plus leak from 2019. They've literally been silent until someone pointed it out just a few days ago. So there you have it. We're talking with Dr. Thomas Cook of Queen's University about a Facebook data leak that, as Dr. Cook points out, happened years ago however there hasn't really been a lot of chatter about it from facebook dr cook do they have because they do have access to personal information do they have any legal responsibility to let people know when there has been a breach or is that just them being nice if they happen to do it oh yeah Yeah, there's, there's definitely a legal responsibility. Where this gets particularly dangerous for Facebook is that you have to think about legal responsibility, Mike, in the context of the countries that have people that have been exposed. So if the national laws of 110 different countries say that Facebook has to report this and potentially pay fines, they kind of have to do it. The biggest one that they're afraid of is the general data protection rule in in the European Union, the GDPR that everyone's been talking about, right? Because that body, a privacy protection body, has been the most aggressive in fining American corporations and Facebook in particular for data irresponsibilities. And so I find it particularly interesting 
that last week in response to um, a request for interview by Wired magazine, that Facebook's uh, chief security uh, fellow had indicated that they have no plan to tell anybody individually that their data has been leaked. Zuckerberg is literally deciding to leave this alone and be quiet about it. Well, it's nice of you to bring it up then, because there are a lot of Facebook <laughs> users who might be saying, hey, what if I was caught up in this? You said that there are yeah. phone numbers in there. Is there any reason to be concerned? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think after, you know, a dozen of these <laughs> from the same company in as many years, Mike, um, we have to start really asking harder questions about what it means to have all of this information about you out there. And I, I want to kind of put it in a context that makes us think about the value, if I may, uh, mm-hmm. the, dollar, the dollar value, if you can think of it that way, of your personal data. You know, a decade ago, it wasn't really worth that much, but even anonymized location data per person in North America is worth about $1,500 a pop to a corporation like Google. That'll almost triple if you add personal information in it. What is so what the, is that information? What are we talking about? Oh, we're, we're talking about, like, you know, GPS coordinates mixed in with, um, you know, your your physical mailing address, your, okay. your phone number, stuff like that. So that, that's, that has a high risk factor <laughs> in, in different contexts, especially from marketing and, and phishing scams. And I'll talk about that more in a minute. But I want to take this in a slightly different direction, if I may, uh, in terms of the dollar value. What the um, what a cybersecurity had, expert had noticed on the weekend, what they had commented on actually, was the fact that when when this 533 million person data set was found on the dark web, what was really interesting about it, Mike, was that the the value of the data was trading very, very, very cheaply. So there's hackers and criminals buying this data from different people so that it can be combined into larger data sets so that different profiles of all of these individual people can be built up so that they can be diversified, so they can be built stronger. And so that those hackers can then sell those profiles to fishers and scammers running call centers in India and Russia for a premium. So the the value of the data, the more this happens, is actually getting quite cheap on the dark web, which means that basic common everyday things that are very uh, valuable to us, that are priceless to us, are worth almost nothing online. And that should concern people because it means that there's so much of it available for it to be sold at a premium if it's bundled up properly to hackers that you are going to run into situations, I think, in the next two years because of this, where those scammers who call from India or those scammers who call from Russia or send you text messages, they're going to start referencing personal information. They're going to start... And that will make them seem a whole lot more real, won't it? multiple email addresses, multiple phone numbers. If you've lived in different places over the course of four years during four uh, Facebook leaks, they're going to know. This is the kind of information that's available now. And when you see people like Zuckerberg and Facebook not taking responsibility over this, we have a real problem in terms of how much data is out there about us to be sold and commodified for, for hackers and for criminals. And also, a, a group of people who obviously don't care enough to do anything about it. Hmm. Dr. Thomas Cook joining us from Queen's University. Dr. Cook, you'd mentioned marketing and things like that. Is that where this kind of begins? Yeah, I, I would think so. Yeah, I think that's fair, Mike. Wow. And if you have scammers who are, are 
you know, able to say, I know this, I know, because one of the things we're always told when it comes to those phone calls you get or those emails that you get, listen carefully, look carefully. You're going to identify something that doesn't quite make sense. There are the people that call and they're calling from the Justice Department and your social security number has been breached and whatever it is that they say. But if you think about that for a second, wait a minute, wait a minute, the Department of Justice, we don't have one of those in Canada. No, no, no. We use ministries here. So that's the clue. Are you saying that maybe we've got to be careful that those clues are are going to become less obvious? Yeah, precisely. That's precisely what I'm saying, Mike. You, you're absolutely correct. that You fit the nail on the head here. Uh, the, the state of the craft of hacking and phishing, so to speak, a lot of that has to do with manipulation of representation. So, you know, building Microsoft official-looking emails that aren't official, sending documents that look like they come from government that are actually filled with malicious links and pictures that, you know, will automatically offload on your computer and will install some sort of script that's going to start scraping data and sending it back to a malicious server in India or Russia. These kinds of things are happening all the time. But if you don't have to worry about manipulating uh, an official document or making an email look legit, when you're trying to scam somebody, it's because you already have enough information about them to coerce them hmm. to to give into doing this. I think what we need to start doing here, Mike, as crazy as it may seem, is to start thinking about how complicit Facebook is in cheapening the data economy. We always talk about how expensive data is, how much money these companies are trying to pay for it. But as these leaks continue to happen, because they hoard so much of it and because they leak so much of it, we're caught in the middle. Criminals are paying nothing for things that are very, very priceless to us. And that leaves the user in a predicament. If you want to find out whether or not you've been implicated in something like this, when you go home tonight, or hopefully you already are at home because it's a stay-at-home order, go on Google and look up, have I been owned? And it's owned with a P. Don't ask. It's going to take a while to explain why they did that. <laughs> Have I been to own.com? And you will be able to enter in your phone number or your email address and see whether or not you've been caught up in a leak like this. And the second thing I, I really encourage people to do, Mike, is to just delete Facebook. This has right. been going on for far too long. It's time to leave. Dr. Cook, thank you so much for raising the issue. One that's two and a half years in kind of the coming and you're staying right on top of it for us we really appreciate that be safe thank you and you as well Wendy. take care that is dr thomas cook if you ever have to call 911 you know that the people on the other end are trained to assist you in whatever way is necessary, if you are in an emergency situation, and we have an opportunity to recognize what 911 communications operators do, it is National Public Safety Telecommunicators Week. And joining us right now is Jamie Spencer, who does that job each and every day as a 911 communications operator. Jamie, thanks for being here. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? You know what? Not too bad. Curious. Always feeling curious about jobs that we know exist that are incredibly important, and thank you for doing what you do, but to know what actually happens, um, that's a little bit different. If we were to describe some of the typical things that would go on in a shift for a 911 operator, Jamie, what comes to mind? 
typically we have about five call takers in the room, and then we have additionally two dispatchers, and then the people who are call taking usually answer the 911 lines and determine whether or not they need police, fire, ambulance, and then the other two dispatchers dispatch the calls to the officers on the street. Sounds like a fantastic system. Now, in terms of the phones, would they ring a lot? Would would they not ring a lot? Where does that even sit? Oh, they're ringing often. We're picking up phone lines all throughout the day. And some of them are obviously legitimate emergencies. Some of them people need help right now. Um, what's it yeah. like to have to handle those calls? Well, we need to be ready in all stressful kind of situations, and we need to be able to answer the phones as they come to us because we're going to hear a lot of things that aren't natural to us and we need to be able to handle those situations professionally and not let our emotions our emotions control us absolutely we are talking right now about a job that you know what we don't tend to learn a whole lot about and that is 911 operator now at the same time jamie this gives us a good opportunity because I, I told the story even before we got to talking about someone who had come up to me and asked to use my phone to call 911. And it, it immediately threw me off. And I was looking around for the emergency. And there there wasn't an emergency. They just wanted to call 911 with the hope of having a paramedic that they liked come and say hi to them. When you look at, at calls that come in that, that aren't emergencies... Do you have any examples of, of one that you've had to handle? Yeah, certainly. So in the 911 center, we have to call back every single 911 number that comes in. So, for instance, we had to call back this phone number that called in, and a male picked up the phone, and he said he was in crisis. So we asked him what was wrong, and he said he had lost his remote, but then he hung up because he found it. Oh, like, no. It's a great example of how this is not an emergency and it ties up our 911 call takers because we need to not only deal with your non-emergency but call you back which takes time for you to ring and pick up the phone yeah wow lost his remote we're talking with jamie spencer 911 communications operator it is national public safety telecommunicators week so those calls obviously do come in uh, what would you recommend in in terms of when people have the non-emergency calls and they feel like, well, I'll just call 911? Uh, what's the first thing you'd rather they thought? Realistically, you should be calling the non-emergency number. A lot of people call into 911 asking for that number. And then a lot of people call in looking for ETAs. Again, another reason to call the non-emergency number. And that number is 519-661-5670. So 661-5670, the non-emergency number in this area for, well, hopefully not I've lost my remote. That, that one you've got to handle by yourself, really. You've got to handle that by mm-hmm. yourself. Jamie, let's, let's look and, and figure out then when is the right time to know you have an emergency? The remote control is an easy one. Other things might not be as easy. So any rule of thumb for calling 911? Yeah, so reasons that we want you to call 911 for are crimes in progress or if somebody is in danger or say somebody has a weapon or if somebody wants to hurt themselves, uh, suspicious people or somebody who's in medical distress or if you see a fire or hear an explosion. Okay, and that's a pretty decent and and common sense type list. And anything else? 519-661-5670. Jamie, we really appreciate you taking the time out for us. Thank you again for what you do, and please keep safe. Thank you.
Jamie Spencer, 911 communications operator. Hi, I've lost my remote. How many times would someone make that call? Probably more than we would like to think. And that's something that, as we know, is being addressed now in terms of finding ways where first responders are not going to the regular calls, the the calls that come in each and every day from the same person where there is a way to address that. And I think that's something that hopefully we'll be able to change things like policing going forward. We are well into the month of April. And... Beginning at the beginning of April, we had a really interesting initiative, and it brings up something that is always important and something that can be one of the most amazing organizations to be a part of, and how things are going here in a pandemic. Joining us right now is the executive director of Big Brothers, Big Sisters of London and Area to talk about a campaign called 50 Men in 50 Days. Please welcome Janet Tufts to London Live. Janet, how are things? Good, thanks. How are you, Mike? Thanks for having me. Hey, you know what? I, I can't complain right now. I mean, there's a lot I think we'd all want to wave a magic wand at, but I don't know. Do you have a magic wand? I, I haven't really ever found mine. Oh, I wish. I wish. Yes, this is tough. In the meantime, we can focus in on some things that can make lives better. And what you're doing with Big Brothers, Big Sisters of London and area in this campaign is designed to do just that. Can you tell us a little bit about what this is about? Sure, I can. Yeah, the campaign, it's called 50 Men in 50 Days. Pretty much what it says, we're looking to recruit 50 male volunteers over the next 50 days. Campaign ends on May 21st. And this is uh, really to meet our urgent need of matching uh, little boys on our wait list. Um, they are in urgent need of a, uh, of a mentor right now, someone who will meet with them once a week. It's not in person right now. Um, but there's still a lot that can happen uh, virtually. So that's what the, that's what the campaign's about. Um, and uh, we, we hope and thank you for helping us promote that. Well, no, it's hey, that's what we're here to do. And you mentioned that things are happening virtually right now. So let's talk about what the responsibilities are for a big brother to a little brother. What sorts of things are you asked to help with? Right. Well, in, in normal times, um, it is uh, it's three to four hours uh, a week, or, or two to four hours, actually, two to four hours a week for a minimum commitment of one year. Um, so we're at, in a virtual environment. Two to four hours might be challenging to do that over your devices. So really, you know, it's just a, a check-in once a week, uh, a one-year commitment. And and our organization, we provide lots and lots of ideas of things that you can do virtually. Um, we, we organize activities. We can give, um, you know, suggestions of what to do. So, um, you know, we don't sort of leave you out there to figure it out on your own. We're here to support that. And that's great to know. At the same time, you mentioned a waiting list. Is this a campaign that happens on an annual basis, or is this something that has been prompted by the waiting list? Yeah, this is, that's a really good question. So over the last year, we have been really, really working hard to get our wait list down. 
Uh, eight months ago, we were at 180 kids on our wait list, and we are making progress. In fact, we just broke the 100 mark uh, last week. We've got 99 kids on our wait list, um, and, uh, and 80% of those kids are boys, and some of them have been waiting for years. And quite frankly, I say this over and over again, um, in a community as fortunate as ours, no child should have to wait any longer than necessary for another caring adult in their lives. So we just, this, this 50 men in 50 days, this particular campaign uh, to find male volunteers is not an annual campaign. This is kind of a one and only or a, or a one-off that um, is, is, you know, that is an issue we just need to address, especially during these um, really challenging times and the toxic stress that kids are dealing with. Some kids. Yeah, absolutely. Janet Tufts joining us, Executive Director of Big Brothers, Big Sisters of London and Area, and you can visit their website at london.bigbrothersbigsisters.ca, and you can find out all kinds of information. Janet, you've been able to speak with people who have become Big Brothers or Big Sisters. What do they tell you about the experience? Yeah, oh, that question, yeah, you know, um, uh, when I first... uh, uh, got this position just less than two years ago. I I was meeting bigs, you know. Maybe I was going out there and meeting, talking to them, and I could not believe the number of them that would tear up when they were talking about their littles and the relationship that they had with their littles. I I was just um, uh, amazed at that, and and I continue to hear how much of an impact that it is on the big as. as Sometimes, often as much, um, you know, benefit to the big as it is the littles. So it can, it is so, so rewarding, you know. So I, I would encourage anyone, and really, you know, there's no, there's no criteria other than you need to be over 18 years old and you need to be a caring individual, wants to make a difference, and that you will consistently be there once a week. No letting, no letting uh, that little one down. Um, but as long as you're caring and consistent, uh, we'd love to hear from you. And typically, what ages are little brothers and little sisters? Yeah, it's about anywhere between the ages of seven and seventeen. Those are the those are the age. And and most of these young people, uh, sadly, are dealing with a lot of uh, childhood um, adversity. Um, you know, a lot of uh, troubled homes and uh, lack of security and. You know, in fact, my my uh, one little guy, 13 year old, said to me um, during the height of the pandemic, uh, "My big brother makes me feel like we're all safe." So, I mean, the impact is uh, the comfort that a big brother can bring. Um, uh, you, you know, I can't uh, understate that. London.BigBrothersBigSisters.ca, and is that the best way to get involved, start up that website? It is. That's the way you'll find. It's very easy once you get on the website to uh, to submit your application. And I will add that if you do this before May 21st, before the campaign closes, you'll be entered to win a big screen TV uh, valued at $1,100. And I am telling you, it is big. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, it's in the back of our storage room. It is huge. So uh, so make sure if you're interested, make sure you do it before May 21st, not only for your chance to win, uh, but to help us achieve our goal of 50 men in 50 days. 
Sounds great. Janet, thank you so much for bringing us up to date on this. Thanks, Mike. Thanks a lot. That is Janet Tufts, Executive Director of Big Brothers, Big Sisters of London and Area. So their campaign is on because, yeah, look at this community. What, what do we talk about when we look at the food bank or when we look at Dream Lottery or you name it? When there is a need, that need just gets filled. Tell people there's a need, it gets filled. And so right now they are still looking for a number of big brothers to eliminate that waiting list that exists in the 50 Men in 50 Days campaign that got underway on April the 1st, and here we are on April the 12th. So we have that website in studio. If you want to give Matt a call, 519-643-2222, because there is some length to it. But london.bigbrothersbigsisters.ca is where you go to get going. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3 